0: Good morning. Thank you again for the opportunity to share in this series on Acts that uh, you have been uh, dealing with. It's a great pleasure for me to open the Word this morning with you. And I trust that we will have fun too as we open the Word uh, together. Uh, We've been, uh, this morning we're looking at Acts chapter 8 and we're uh, looking at persecution and church growth. And my title this morning is The Spirit Breaks Out and Breaks Through because we see uh, in Philip uh, a, the breaking out where the people have been scattered because of the persecution and we see the spirit breaking through some of the mindset of the believers and also of Philip. Last week we looked at three important lessons from the life of Stephen. Can anyone remember what those three lessons from the life of Stephen were? doesn't have to be in order. Oh, sorry. All right. (laughs) One was the core of Christian commitment is service. Two was Christians are baffling and confusing contradiction to the world. And three was sometimes God will for us, God's will for us is martyrdom. And I'm sure none of you have prayed during the week for the gift of martyrdom as uh, Peter Wagner uh, used to outline the gifts of the Spirit and he included the gift of martyrdom and one that not too many people hanker after. Uh, this morning uh, we look at uh, uh, three breakthroughs in the life of Philip. Uh, three breakthroughs in which barriers are removed and prejudice is illuminated as he as eliminated. Uh, first one is God loves Samaritans, second, God loves sexually abnormal people, and thirdly, God loves men and women using their spiritual gifts. And Noel is looking at me saying, Where is this man going? <laughs> Saul's uh, plan had backfired. He had hoped that Stephen's execution would frighten the followers of Jesus into silence and subversion. Instead, it scattered the fire of faith. A Jerusalem-based sect of Judaism was pressed out in the very areas of Judea and Samaria where the Lord had exactly said they would be witnesses. Victor Hugo uh, said, There is one thing stronger than all the armies of the world, and that is an idea whose time has come. For a practical illustration, uh, last year's football premiership, the Western Bulldogs, you could not stop. The time had come for them to win a premiership. You You got the idea. (laughs) The gospel of Jesus Christ, of course, is much more than an idea. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's God's dynamite for breaking down sin's barriers and setting prisoners free. Not only did Samaritans believe and were baptised, there was the Ethiopian eunuch. The church was not only breaking out, it was breaking through social and cultural barriers that had separated people for centuries. Think about it. Think about the Jewish religion as it was always understood and practised and taught up to this particular time. Think about all the walls that existed in the Jewish religion, the wall between Jews and Samaritans. The walls between sexually normal people and sexually abnormal people. The wall between men and women. And as we read these stories from the perspective of someone who had grown up with such walls firmly in place, you begin to see that the book of Acts is, much, is as much about transformation of the believers as it is about the conversion of unbelievers. And it's our journey too. We need to be constantly growing as we surrender to God and as he guides and moves us and develops us to be more like Jesus. You can decide for yourself whether or where, even as believers today, there might still be need to be transformed in your life and mine. If we're open to God, he will expose those areas and he'll lead us through those areas to confront them and to do something about them. Philip was a deacon, one of those first seven deacons who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom from Acts chapter 6 verse 5 and who were appointed by the church to wait on tables and assist widows in need. But the Spirit of God had a little larger job description in mind for Philip. At the time that he was ordained as a deacon, there was only one Christian church and that was in Jerusalem. And you get the impression that that's how it would have stayed if those early Jewish Christians, they were pretty much all Jewish Christians at the time, if they had their way. They were content and comfortable. There was safety in Jerusalem. They were comfortable in what the Americans would call the first Christian church of Jerusalem. Who would want to mess up that warm, tight, cosy community of like-minded people? God would. That's who. Now he would want to be careful in saying that God is behind every persecution that is ever taking place. But because that would not be true. But here in Acts, you get the sense that God sent a persecution on the church because the church needed to push forward. They needed to push to force them outside of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It is true, as was said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and the book of Acts continually refers to the growth of the church despite the horrific persecution that they were facing. A modern day testimony is on video on YouTube of Pastor Samuel Lamb in China, a friend of Graham and Elizabeth, he was imprisoned twice, totally uh, for a total of approximately 22 years of his 88 years. He says in this interview on the YouTube, if you have a look, if you type in Pastor Samuel Lamb in his broken English, he says that when I went to prison the first time, the church had 400 members. When I was released, the church was 900. The more persecution, the more the church grows. And this happened time and time again. In the two instances that he was in prison, the church multiplied even while he was in prison. Now who wants to leave if life inside the walls is warm and good and comfortable? And so it was that all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside and Luke Luke writes those who had been scattered preached the word of god wherever they went and one of those philip was led by the spirit and as he would later be led to the desert road beside gaza he got up and went to samaria samaria yes samaria now why would he go to samaria Jews and Samaritans hate each other and that cuts both ways. We don't talk with each other or walk with each other, don't eat with each other or meet with each other or marry with each other. The way it was is the way it still is between Jews and Arabs today. But the Spirit of God leads Philip to Samaria and this is the first breakthrough that we find God loves Samaritans for his whole lifetime you understand from the time Philip was a young boy and old enough to understand Philip had been taught to be prejudiced against the Samaritans he was taught that by his parents he was taught that by his teachers and rabbis that Samaritans were half-breeds, unclean a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles As the Apostle notes in his Gospel in the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the wells, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, John 4 verse 9. But the Spirit of God told Philip to go to the Samaritans and to preach the good news of God's love in Jesus for all people, including Samaritans. So he got up and he did, with the result that the Samaritans believed Philip as he preached the good news, and they were baptised. Then the Spirit of God spoke into Philip's heart and ears a second time and he told him to go to the desert road just outside of Gaza. And on his way there, he meets the treasurer to the Queen of Ethiopia. As he was, as was often the case in foreign nations, with men granted positions of great power and trust, he was a eunuch. He had been surgically castrated and unable to father children. Now, although he cannot have a family, he does have enormous wealth. He rides in a chariot. Now, this is not one of those sports models like they race in Ben-Hur or or the Gladiator, but it's a chauffeur-driven limousine, Uber, if you like, of the day. A chariot. The Ethiopian unit sits comfortably on a cushioned bench, uh, canopy overhead, and reads or tries to read the scroll of Isaiah. He was part of a caravan who had come to Jerusalem for worship. That was the purpose. Now, another way you can tell that this man was quite wealthy is that he has a scroll of Isaiah. Now, we have lots of Bibles in our homes and stacked in rooms around the church and we expect the Bible to be available on our seats when we come in for worship. But in those days, every scroll had to be copied by hand, which made them very expensive and very precious. That process made a scroll excessively expensive. This unit, however, had the resources to shop for the scriptures while he was in Jerusalem. And that tells you something about the character of him, doesn't it? He wants to know about God. He invests his wealth not in Jerusalem t-shirts or tourist magnets for the fridge, but in God's word. He buys the scripture. And this is a man seeking for God, but who, when he arrived in Jerusalem, would not have been welcome in the temple. Now, we all recall that in the 1960s, during the civil rights struggle, a group of African-American Christians showed up one Sunday morning at the front door of an enormous church in Atlanta, Georgia. The church had these big pillars surrounding with a spacious porch, with long steps leading up to that porch. The African-Americans would be worshippers were turned away that Sunday morning, but they did not leave. They stood on the porch and steps in silent witness. Then worship inside the church began something no one had expected or planned happened. Inside the organ and the worshippers began the first hymn and outside on the porch and steps these would-be worshippers knew that hymn and began to sing along. Worshippers were united in song and if in song in faith and hope as well but they were divided by the door that would not open, a wall that would not yet fall. The experience of this Ethiopian in Jerusalem must have been something like that. Not because he's black, but because of all his wealth. He's a eunuch. And the scriptures are clear. The law of Moses says... No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord, Deuteronomy 23.1. As one Bible scholar puts it, the Ethiopian eunuch would not have been regarded, would have been regarded as sexually ambiguous, socially ostracised and morally evil. But the spirit of God leads Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so here we have the second breakthrough. God loves sexually abnormal people for his whole lifetime you understand from the time he was a young boy old enough to understand Philip had been taught to be prejudiced against eunuchs and other sexually abnormal people he was taught that by his parents he was taught it by his teachers and rabbis that eunuchs are forbidden to join the family of God it's in the book we are to have nothing to do with eunuchs we are not to talk with them or walk with them or eat with them or even meet with them. But the Spirit of God told Philip to go to the unit and explain who the prophet Isaiah was talking about. So he got up and he did. He ran when commissioned by the Spirit of God. With the result, the eunuch believed in Jesus and asked to be baptised. So he was baptised into Jesus Christ by Philip who from his childhood was carefully taught to be prejudiced Against such a person. So that's the story about Philip from Acts chapter 8. And at the end of the chapter, you read that Philip went to Caesarea, which in fact, you still find him there 20 years later in the next story, where a brief comment is made in Acts 21 verse 8 and 9. And this is all we know about Philip. It says in verses 8 to 9, it says, Leaving, that's Paul and Luke, leaving the next day he reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Philip is now identified as the Evangelist and we are told that he has four daughters. Not only that, we are told that all four daughters are the prophets, are preachers. Now here we have the gospel of Pentecost, remember, when it was predicted that this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Acts 2, 17 and 18. Now this is the third breakthrough. God loves men and women using their spiritual gifts. Now, for his whole lifetime, you understand, from the time he was a young boy old enough to understand, Philip had been carefully taught that the role and position of what the role and position of women should be. He was taught by his teachers and rabbis that women were like property, that they were like his farm animals, that they were to be obedient and that he could simply divorce them and be rid of them, that they should know their position in life and accept it. Philip was taught that women weren't supposed to sit with the men in church and were definitely not supposed to talk in church, but the Spirit of God led his daughters, all four of them, to become prophets, preachers proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Can you imagine being in a family of four daughters and all of them preachers? Wow. Philip gets the Father of the Year award in my eyes. (laughs) So the question is, uh, do we understand? Do we understand? Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you were reading? Do you understand the story in Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant who was led like a sheep to the slaughter? Well, we can say yes, we do. But the question of all three stories that is asked of us today is this. Uh, Sorry, I should go to that one. Is this, do you understand the meaning of the story about Philip being sent to uh, Samaria? And do you understand the story about Philip being being sent to meet the Ethiopian eunuch? And do you understand about the story of Philip's four daughters who became prophets? It's very simple and very clear and it's the same message that continues with all the stories that follow in the book of Acts. And that message is that when the power of God gets inside of you, when the Spirit of God fills your heart and rules the church, then there are incredible breakthroughs. Barriers are removed and prejudice is eliminated. There is unity. In the book of Acts you see that at every turn in the road when the church had to spread the word beyond its comfortable walls, it had to be poked and prodded by the Holy Spirit. And I guess how many of us need to confess that, that we still have to be poked and prodded today as the Holy Spirit deals with us both individually and corporately. Sure, these stories about, are about the conversion of the Samaritans and an Ethiopian eunuch, but more than that, it's a story about the transformation of Philip who discovers that three significant walls of his old-time religion had no place any longer in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he learned. But that is a lesson still hard for us and for the church generally to learn. There are so many kinds of prejudices that still exist in the world and culture of which we are a part and that remain in our lives, although we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world, it doesn't always work out that way, does it? We must be open for the spirit of God to expose those prejudices in our lives and for us to deal with them and to give us the grace and power to overcome them. There is monocultural or nationalistic prejudice where, uh, wherever we turn. In our world today, there are children that are taught to hate Israelis or to hate the Palestinians or to hate the Arabs or to hate the Iraqis or to hate the Iranians or to hate the Russians or hate the Japanese or to hate the Chinese. There is a racial prejudice. For a whole lifetime, people have been taught that white skin is superior. That Aboriginals are lazy, that Mexicans are dirty, that Asians are taking our jobs. No, no, that's not right. (laughs) But, you know, that's what people think. There are sexual prejudices. People have been taught for centuries that women were inferior to men. In my lifetime, they weren't expected to drive. You know, and for the younger people, when there's jokes about women drivers, it comes from my generation when women didn't drive, you know. And uh, and now there's more women on the road than men, just about, and that's why there's no 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 that's a, no, no, no 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 sorry, but they weren't allowed to drive, you know, they weren't allowed to drive in 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 my uh, uh, generation. Uh, they weren't expected to have a profession like a doctor, or doing certain manual labour, or having leadership roles in the church. Also, just as people were once taught that eunuchs could not inherit the kingdom of God, how many Christians and churches today still believe that people with a homosexual orientation cannot be Christian? Now, I struggle with the aggression of the proponents of same-sex marriage and this gender identity agenda that that people have in the world today where where people uh, promote these things where the media is, is being hijacked by a minority group of people. I struggle how individuals and companies are adding their support to these extremely important issues and flaunting bizarre sexual preferences to make it the normal. Now may God help us. We all know sometimes in our own families where people have struggled with homosexuality and we've used that grace and truth that we've talked about last week, the grace and truth, where we've been, learnt, we've been able to, to love the person but hate the sin. And I'll get into trouble for saying homosexuality is a sin, but, but, but you know, this, is, this is the way it is today and, and we're, being, we're being brainwashed by the media and by public office and by companies uh, who are taking the side and leading people astray. I fear for our children being exposed to the dreadful safe schools program being rolled out in various degrees in our schools. I pray God's mercy on those deceiving our children and try to show grace and truth without being judgmental or self-righteous. Because often we come over as judgmental and self-righteous when we express or we're accused of that if we express another opinion. But we must, be, we must be true to God's word. We, we must see, know that the value of God's word is that what will sustain society. Whereas what is being promoted will destroy society. If you think about it, look, looking again especially at the central point of these three stories of Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch really did understand what he was reading. He understood so well that he believed the impossible, that God loved him an Ethiopian eunuch, sitting in a chariot in a desert reading Isaiah with a deacon called Philip. God loved him exactly as he was and all that he had to do now was show up at the water to be baptised. Because that's what baptism is, the mark that God loves us, not because of anything we do, but because of who we are, his children by grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a miracle! that not only the eunuch but also Philip is transformed. Two guys sitting in a chariot in the middle of the desert reading the word of God together. Two guys realising by the spirit of God that the world was bigger than they had imagined. Two guys realising that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Two guys realising what the prophet Isaiah wrote, not only in chapter 23, but in chapter 56 of his prophecy, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all people Isaiah 56 and verse 7 so the question is the question is where do you and I still need to be transformed where does the Holy Spirit need to take you and me where does he need to take us uh, as our church or as in the church context that we're, we're in Know this for sure, we will continue to poke and prod us like he did the early church and with Philip of old until the day when all of God's children feel welcomed in the all-embracing heart of God. For my house, the scripture said, will be called a house of prayer for all peoples, wrote the prophet Isaiah. In Christ, uh, in Christ, wrote the persecuted turned the persecutor turned apostle Paul to the Christians in Galatia. He said, "There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise." That's what God in Christ and by the Holy Spirit is all about. From Genesis and the promises of Abraham and Sarah to make of them a great nation all the way to Revelation where the Apostle John reported that that, uh, they all sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with the blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign On the earth then I looked and heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Brothers and sisters, in this book of Acts, as you continue your study, you see God not only allowing the Christians to break out of their small thinking about the group in Jerusalem, but you see him breaking through these prejudices, breaking through in the lives of individuals. And the self-same spirit of God dwells in you and I as believers in Jesus and he will lead us to the same breakthrough as we trust in him. Now some of you are looking at chapter 8, I was given the whole chapter to, to, uh, to share this morning and of course it's a bit large to deal with everything. So uh, in uh, Acts chapter 8 verses 14 to 17 uh, there is a reference to the fact that uh, uh, the people had uh, responded to the word of God but they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit and uh, you may have read that little bit now, instead of dealing within the bulk of the sermon I've Giving you an outline, there's one on the uh, table as you go out, and I'll leave a few here uh, on the platform. That gives you some, you know, some, there's been some theological debate about the second blessing, and whole churches and theology structures have been uh, often centred upon this this passage where the Samaritans had received the gospel, the word that Philip preached but they had not received the Holy Spirit and I've given you some uh, understanding of that and how that we should do that and some warnings about when we present the gospel that we don't include uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit because otherwise at times we, we bring people to Christ but then they struggle in their own journey in discipleship trying to do the things that we teach them without the power that the Holy Spirit. So we've got to, in our in our nurture of new believers, we've got to help them to understand that it's the Spirit of God that's opened their eyes, and it's the Spirit of God that gives them the strength to live the life. If they don't have the Spirit of God, well, then they're going to be struggling because it'll all be in their their own strength. And there is, of course, a little bit of reference there to Simon the sorcerer, and you'll have the story there where Simon. Uh, saw what God was doing and he wanted to buy into it by giving them money to get that power. He was into the the power so that others would admire him. And I've given you some guidelines in a disorder that's called simony that comes from this story uh, where people want to buy into the church and buy into the power. And so you can take that and and have a little read about that uh, later. Let's bow together in prayer as we... uh, Submit to God's Spirit. Father, it's been a privilege to open your word together and you have spoken to us. You've challenged our thinking, Father. There are some controversial things in this passage that we've considered, some things that we find difficult, but we ask you to open our hearts and minds, speak to us by your Spirit afresh how that you love people of all nationalities and you've called us to witness to every tribe and every tongue and every language and every people group. And, Father, may we invest our time and our resources, both human and financial, to fulfil that purpose and that challenge that you've given to us. Father, we're surrounded by a world uh, of sexual abnormality where people are promoting a lifestyle that is contrary to your purposes. Grant to us wisdom and how we respond. Grant to us grace and truth, Father, as we deal with individuals uh, who are struggling with their sexuality. Help us not to be judgmental, Father. Help us to be open. But Lord, help give us discernment, Father, where people are flaunting a way of life that is contrary to your purposes and that is the very means by which our society will destroy itself. Grant to us wisdom, we pray. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given to us by your Spirit. We thank you, Father, that uh, men and women have been given gifts of the Spirit. Grant to us to recognise each other. Father, help us to to see your plan, your purposes, the roles of men and women in family and in business and in church life. Lord, help us to see those varying roles and to encourage those gifts, Father, so that the whole body of Christ might be able to be built up and strengthened under the headship of Jesus to bring honour and glory to you and be committed to proclaiming, to going out, Father, being scattered, Father, to the ends of the earth, but also, Father, to be under the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that will arrest the the human nature that is contrary to you and transform it to be like Jesus, Lord. So shine that light upon us afresh this morning and help us to confess where we need to surrender those thoughts and feelings and to see your Spirit break through with power so that your word will be... Proclaimed, and and that your your image will be honoured, Father, in the lives of the believers. So we commit ourselves to you now, in and through our Saviour's precious and worthy name. And the people said, "Amen." Amen. God bless you.